it's always like if we don't do this everyone in the universe will die like they always say that every time <laughs> Hi, and welcome to episode Cine Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And with each new episode of Cine Nation, we love talking about genre and discussing genre and delving into kind of the history of it. Usually I have my co-host Thomas Horton with me, uh, but today because of scheduling, he could not join us today. So we have our friend who's kind of helping us run social media, and he's been on the podcast, I believe, once before, way back in the day in our early iteration of Cine Nation, uh, and that's our friend Jonathan Norris. Jonathan, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. It's been a minute. Yeah, was it was it video game movies? Yeah, it was the video game adaptation episode yeah. and talking about kind of like the video game curse and like what stories we yeah. could kind of adapt from interactive experiences into more kind of the straight narrative of movies. It'd be interesting to kind of retackle that. I mean, even though video games aren't a genre, would you consider video game movies a genre in themselves or... Mm, this is side I mean, note from our, from our current conversation today, but I just want to bring it up. <laughs> right. Uh, it's, I, I think it's definitely kind of like a, a subgenre. I don't know if it's fleshed out enough to kind of be its own genre. And any video games would kind of fall under like much kind of bigger, broader genres anyway. Yeah. But it's definitely kind of an interesting way to kind of tackle those. It would be good to kind of revisit now that you've had Sonic and you've had a few other a few other video games are in talks or being produced. It'd be interesting to revisit that at some point. Yeah, and I think you had, you had think you had other like I mean I think Wreck It Ralph two came out after we did that episode and a few other kind of like video video game centric films. Anyway, but yeah, I'm so happy to have Jonathan here with us today. We're gonna be talk we're talking about coming of age movies this month in July, and we've kind of established the tropes of it. And the movie that, that I brought, I wanted to bring Jonathan on to talk about today because I, I know he really likes this movie, and that's Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. But real quick, a recap and kind of what we've been talking about with coming-of-age movies and kind of the tropes. So in a lot of the coming-of-age movies, you're going to see things like uh, parental relationships. Either parents are present in the, the character's story or they're not present at all. And usually when the parents are present in the storyline there's usually this conflict between the parents and the kid in some way. And that could be a little bit of the arc of the story is their relationship. Some other tropes are the need to escape, like feeling you're in this, your town or your surroundings and you feel um, almost abnormal in, the, in that town or surroundings and you're wanting to get out. Um, we've also talked about sexual awakening or sexual oppression, which we did in Splendor in the Grass. That doesn't really come into play in today's movie with, Sp with Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse. Um, and another trope I think we briefly discussed in the Edge of Seventeen episode was the mentor relationship between your main character, and that's going to come into play today with Spider-Man. Um, so yeah, that's the recap of our genre, and for, like I said, today we're doing Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Um, the cast of this film, we have Shamik Moore, who plays Miles Morales, who was also in Dope, which we talked about in an earlier episode. Uh, Jake Johnson plays Peter B. Parker. Haley Steinfeld, who we talked about in Edge 17, is Gwen Stacy. Mahershal Ali, who plays Uncle Aaron, was in Moonlight, which is another one that fits in our genre. You got Nick Cage, John Mulaney, Chris Pine, a lot of great people. We'll discuss more about them later. Um, but but Jonathan, uh, 
Can you tell us what Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is about? Sure. So our story is set in the Spider-Man universe and it follows Miles Morales and his own kind of origin story of being bitten by the famous uh, radioactive spider that gives him powers. But there's a conflict in Kingpin trying to bring in uh, his family from another universe. And what he ends up doing is bringing in other things and other people into it. So then Miles, as he's learning his powers, is also having to kind of cope with losing the Spider-Man of his universe while getting a new one that becomes his sort of reluctant mentor and him coming into his own as a hero. Pretty much, I mean, it's 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 an origin story for the Spider-Man character, for Miles Morales. The first time we've seen Miles Morales in a big screen adaptation. Uh, if you haven't seen Spider-Man in the Spider-Verse yet, you can view it on Netflix and probably rent it, whatever services you do, because we're going to kind of break it down today. Um, so Jonathan and I watched this movie together the first time in theaters, because I was back home, Jonathan's in Alabama, I'm in Los Angeles, and I went back home, we watched it together. I think you've watched it more than I have since we saw it together, correct? I've seen it now three times. So the time you and I saw it in theaters, then when they announced it, it was on Netflix, I rewatched it, and then I watched it for our episode today. Okay. Yeah, I hadn't seen it since we saw it in theaters, which is about a, I guess a year and a half now almost came out uh december 2018 um so i i loved it the first time and i think i might love it even more the second time it is um i think it's better in the rewatch i think the only thing you you kind of lose and maybe it's just because maybe how far i'm seeing from my tv but you don't see the detail of like the comic book like that's the thing that's so cool about this movie is how much it looks like a comic book even like the style of Miles, you kind of see like the the markings of like paper, like it's a comic book paper, which I love. You don't fully see that on home video type on a smaller TV screen, but I think uh, noticing it this time, I think the script is pretty much perfect, and we'll talk about that later. Um, but what were your thoughts this time rewatching it? I think the more you rewatch it, the more you appreciate the art style of what you were saying, like the famous yeah. kind of Kirby crackle, some of the dots, uh, the line work in this is really good to add emphasis to the expressions that would be very different. Uh, because I was watching a, a breakdown of kind of the art style and what they were bringing into the line work. And they went into this one scene. It's when Miles and his dad are in the cop car and they're having that first yeah. conversation. And the line work on Miles's face, like having that already there kind of sets you up for just more expressive faces that you can do. And it changes a lot of uh, what you would kind of normally animate versus already having it. Like you have these already kind of natural expressive faces, even when they're not really expressing anything like they it, it kind of adds emphasis to them, having those kind of line works already there. Uh, the color shifts, this is one of the most colorful films that I think really balances color and knows when to get really wild and when to give you this very kind of more traditional cinematic look. Uh, a lot of like reds, magentas, and purples, yeah. the kind of color shifts they have when they're doing glitches or when they're doing these very animated uh, sequences is fantastic uh this is a film i i feel like it kind of gets better with age and i think more people will appreciate the art style as the years go on yeah it's i read too in terms of the colors they actually would like knowingly do the wrong like color palette in certain spots 
because they wanted to replicate how sometimes there's misprints in a comic book. Right. So there's there's like things that are like almost a little bit don't seem right, and that was like purposeful. Um, you're talking about you said line. Some of the line art and line work, like in the facial expressions. And, and so with line art, like. Because I don't know as much about comic books, can you? And and some of our listeners might not either. Maybe I'm just the dumbest person here. What do you mean by line art? What is like? What exactly do you mean by that? Uh, it sort of just kind of adds structure to certain faces and certain objects, the way that you would kind of recognize them more in a panel to kind of add emphasis to certain places. Uh, it's just kind of adds more to that kind of comic book feel because they wanted to kind of balance between letting artists kind of have more of a hand draw feel while also kind of let giving you the flexibility of using digital and being able to kind of incorporate that some of that line work in the faces and in the objects and characters allows it to feel more like that animated comic book style that they created. Gotcha. Um, we'll discuss more of that as we continue uh but brief history of how this film got made um the big thing the information about this film came out back in 2014 when it was leaked during the sony hack and one of the emails that was part of it was that there was talks of a spider-man animated film that was going to be done by phil lord and chris miller it would later not be announced till april 2015 and the initial plan, which I, I don't know how this would have worked, was that it was going to coexist the live action world. So it was going to be it was going to exist in the same universe. But then they decided against it because they thought that'd be too confusing. And I kind of agree with it. But they hoped this this film would rejuvenate the Spider-Man franchise at Sony because at this point they had kind of two Spider-Man three didn't do well. They did Amazing Spider-Man that kind of went sour after the second one. And then there was the talks of Marvel taking over with Spider-Man Homecoming. And Sony was like, we got to actually do Spider-Man on our own. And this is kind of how this uh, film came to be. Phil Lord uh, of Lord Miller wrote the script with Rodney Rothman. It's the only time, at least credited, I believe, that Lord has written a script without Miller. Um, so with favorite scenes in this movie, it was a little bit difficult for me because a lot, a, lot, a lot of the best scenes are the action scenes um and that's gonna be hard to play on here but we'll still discuss them um but what was what were some of your favorite scenes in the movie sure uh i do i recall when you and i saw this in theaters there were three moments in this movie that really made me tear up i mean like there's differences between things that really hit you emotionally and things that are kind of well done and things yeah, yeah. can be both <clears throat> but i would say the first one for me that was just really well executed it's Mary Jane's speech after it's announced that her husband was Peter and kind of his own life of being Peter and also being Spider-Man and her whole speech about he didn't choose his powers, but he chose to be Spider-Man. And like the scene that they do where it's like the crowd and everyone has the Spider-Man mask on and his own scene with Miles and Stan Lee when he asks him, like, does the suit fit? And he tells him how it always fits eventually. Uh, that one, to me, hits super well. And the music, it's, this movie is scored and has a great soundtrack. Like, they both does, like, yeah. know when to put those moments in. And, like, being able to kind of put in a traditional kind of hero-esque or heroic score with, like, a hip-hop soundtrack in some scenes they balanced it really well. And kind of what, what you're saying about rejuvenating the franchise and making it feel fresh. I think the music, I mean, so much of the art style gets talked about and understandably so, but 
they really did well scoring this film and the sound design of it was great too. My husband, Peter Parker, was an ordinary person. He always said it could have been anyone behind the mask. He was just a kid who happened to get bit. I'm going to miss him. Yeah, we were friends, you know. Can I return it if it doesn't fit? It always fits. Eventually. He didn't ask for his powers. But he chose to be Spider-Man. My favorite thing about Peter is that he made us each feel powerful. We all have powers of one kind or another. But in our own way, we are all Spider-Man. And we're all counting on you. Probably not you specifically. I, I think it's a metaphor. My other kind of favorite, uh, Prowler's death in this, to me, yeah. like, really hits hard. I mean, of just ha- that, di- I almost kind of wanted more moments between Aaron Davis and Miles Morales because I like kind of the uncle and nephew relationship of those two so much. And I didn't realize how efficient that kind of arc is yeah. between them, uh, watching it for the third time. And the the last scene that I'll hit on that's really big, <clears throat> the kind of the leap of faith talk between Peter B. Parker and Miles when he straps into the chair and he's asking, like, how do you how do I know when I'm Spider-Man? Like, you don't. Yeah, it's a leap of faith, Miles. That's all it is. That one really that one always hits me really well. My last, okay, fourth one, final one. That's just fantastic. Uh, immediately following Prowler's death, <clears throat> Jeff, uh, Miles's father, coming to talk to him in his room. Kind of before mm-hmm. that, kind of like right, the thing that kind of gets him charged up. Uh, <clears throat> Brian Tyree Henry just hits it out of the park in that scene yeah. of just delivery. And just hint, kind of like you said, of like this coming of age trope of parental conflict and him having the courage to talk to his son of, I know I'm, I'm not what you always need me to be, but I'm here mm-hmm. for you and I support you. It just, he nails it really well. Yeah, with with the parental stuff, we talked about this in, in earlier episodes where a lot of it is a, a parent who wants their child to be like them. And then the parent tends to have a growth realizing that, oh, I should not force them to be like me. I should let them be be who they are. And the parent has a better understanding of who their their child is. And I think in that moment that you're talking about with, with his father at the door, and his father is kind of admitting that, like, I haven't been, maybe I haven't been the perfect person for you as a father. And so you have that little journey uh, for him. Yeah, I, I think all the character arcs in this movie are, are pretty perfect. Miles, uh, Miles is your dad. Please open the door. Miles, I can see your shadow moving around. Yeah, okay, I get it, I get it, it's still ignoring me. Look, can we talk for a minute? Something, something happened. Look, sometimes people drift apart, Miles. 
then I don't want that to happen to us, okay? Look, I know I don't always do what you need me to do or say what you need me to say, but I'm... I see this, this spark in you. It's, it's amazing. It's why I push you, but it's yours. Whatever you choose to do with it, you'll be great. Look, call me when you can, okay? I love you. You don't have to say it back, though. That scene in particular I, I, is, a, is an emotional one, and that's one reason why I like this movie so much, is because it's able to, to balance the emotion, the humor, and the action really well. And yeah, I, I, the Uncle Aaron storyline is really interesting and really, like I said, very efficient. It's very well done. It's, it's a, when looking at Spider-Man in terms of film, Uncle Ben is always like a character in the story in terms of Peter Parker's journey. And it's interesting seeing a similar journey, but with Miles and Uncle Aaron, because you still have the uncle relationship at, uh, and, the, and with Peter Parker, the uncle is kind of the father surrogate. But in a way, Uncle Aaron is kind of the father that Miles wishes he had, is what it feels like. This is the one he goes to, uh, who like um, who pushes his artwork and like the tagging that he does when his father's like, take it down, don't show it. And you're right, Aaron and Miles only have, as Aaron and Miles, because Aaron being the prowler, you have a lot of action scenes with them. But as Aaron and Miles, you really only have, when he comes to see... Aaron before he does like the tagging in like the the sewer or, or in the the subway area you don't have much between them so a lot of it is done or a lot of the importance of the Aaron relationship is done through Miles's view of him and those scenes and then also like when stuff goes wrong he usually always runs to Aaron's apartment to see him so like the 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 death is big but I also love the way the reveal is done that Uncle Aaron is the prowler where Miles is in the room writing a, a letter to him about like like what he has to do and how tough it is. And then all of a sudden the Prowler comes in, oh no, it's his uncle. And now his uncle's trying to kill him. Dear Uncle Aaron, I gotta do something and I don't know if I can do it. I'm scared, man. I'm just tired of letting everybody down. You're the only one I can talk to. I just wish you were here. I really love the relationship between Peter B. Parker and Miles Morales. And so, again, with, with this kind of storyline, what happens is that the real Spider-Man in Miles' universe, who's played by Chris Pine, is this, like, is a, an amalgam of all the different Spider-Men we've seen in movies, basically that you've seen in the original Sam Raimi and then that you've seen in the Mark Webb Spider-Man. Um, but he dies and this new mentor comes up and it's Peter B. Parker, who's like in his forties, overweight, divorced from Mary Jane, really hates being Spider-Man. And he is kind of this, um, this reluctant mentor with Miles and their comedy together is really great. 
I think Miles really puts it best when he says, oh man, why did I get stuck with the broke, janky, homeless Spider-Man? Like, that's just, yeah, that's such a perfect, like, I love that he's kind of the pathetic, kind of washed up hero. And I mean, it sets him up for a really good kind of redemption arc, yeah. too. Uh, yeah, that's a really fun relationship. And one thing I really liked when I was reading into the animation of this how they kind of rotated between animating on ones and twos and Mm -hmm. how that scene when they're breaking out of the lab, you have Miles on ones and then you have Peter on twos at the beginning. So the animating on twos is going to give you kind of this faster, kind of smoother uh, reaction with Peter. So you have someone who's very kind of in their element and you have Miles on ones who is very kind of slipping up and like kind of late reactions and you can see him trying to kind of feel it out. Yeah. on how to web sling for the first time. And as they, that scene progresses, you eventually have them in rhythm swinging together and you have them both on twos. Like they really, I mean, I know we talk about the art style a lot, but they really put a lot of care into kind of having everything had a purpose of like why they were kind of going with that certain direction for it. And I really loved how they did that scene once I read into how it was done because rotating between that is very different and like i remember watching it for the first time even like the first 20 minutes like i just kept thinking something doesn't feel right in the motion it wasn't that it was bad it was just so different from anything else i had kind of seen so it was kind of this awkward reaction of like seeing something for the first time that like i can't tell if this is really good or bad because like i just haven't seen anyone pull this off but the more I watched it, the more I really appreciated what they did with that and how that animating on ones and twos helps Peter B and Miles's relationship. And, and I know with the ones and twos, because I don't really know that terminology that much. What I read in the same scene, which I assume is what we're kind of getting at, is that uh, the frame rate was different. So like with with Peter, to put it in the kind of film terms, um, with Peter B. Parker, when he was swinging it was in 24 frames per second to give him a more smoother movement. When uh, Miles is doing it, it's 12 frames. So it's rougher and less refined. And as you're saying, it then progresses into where they're both doing 24 frames a second, basically, which is just that it's, it's such a great detail to have. And also too, I think again, the animation style where even like other characters that come in from different universes have a very different style in terms of animation Let's see what other scenes. Uh, some like other brief scenes. I really, I love Miles meeting the other Spider Men, where it just establishes kind of all these different people who've come into his universe, and the comedy. Like Nick Cage, easily one of my favorites. It's just just perfect. It's just like, it. What what's his line where it's like the wind feels like rain or or like it's something like just it's a lot of his lines just don't make sense. But it's just very this like noir nineteen thirties. Humphrey Bogart-esque private detective dialogue that he's just like spewing. And he's the one that it's, we talked about, I think before the show, just how all these characters feel self-aware. And for some reason, Cage's character feels very self-aware. Like the part when, when they find out that uncle Aaron is the prowler and his kind of his like main adversary in the story, Miles is, and, and Cage just like, Oh, what a, what an origin story. Like, dang, you're being chased <laughs> by your uncle. And then later on, like the uncle gets killed. So like you were you're the villain you were, that were trying to kill you that you were trying to kill was your uncle. It's just like it's crazy. It's so many levels, so many levels. 
but yeah, their meeting is great. I think the humor that they have, all the all the Spider-Men have great chemistry, voice acting chemistry with with Haley Steinfeld and Cage and Jake Johnson and and Shamik, John Mulaney, all those guys together are pretty good. Who are you again? This is Miles, and he's gonna save the multiverse. Yeah, man. This kid can turn himself invisible. Watch this. He can do it now. I can't do it on command. He can't do it on command, but it is cool. Show him the zappy thing, Miles. Can't do it on command. He can't do it on command, but he can do so much more. Like, like what else do you do? Just those two things. Just those two things. Oh, man. Look, I've seen him in action. He's got potential. I think he's gonna get us home. Okay, little fella, Kingpin's gonna send a lot of mugs after you, and I'm talking hard boys. Real biscuit boxers. Can you fight them all off at once? Well, I, I haven't actually fought anyone. Surprise attack! Can you rewire a mainframe while being shot at? Can I what? Don't Surprise me. attack! Can you swing and flip with the grace of a trained dancer? Can you close off your feelings so you don't get crippled by the moral ambiguity of your violent actions? Can you help your aunt create an online dating profile so she can get out of the dang house once in a while? Can you float through the air when you smell a delicious pie? What? Can you be strong? Ruthless? Disciplined? I don't know. Maybe. Bossy <laughs> soldier. Above all, no matter how many times you get hit, can you get back up? I also, uh, one, one of my favorite action sequences is, as we talked about, you're talking about the swinging with different frame rates, but them robbing the lab with Catherine Hahn as, as Doc Ock. I just, I love the, that really develops the Miles and, and Parker mentorship apprentice relationship. Absolutely. And also, you, I don't know if you really talk, well, it's the, you see the leap of faith line. Were you talking about the, the action sequence leap of faith or the one in the dorm room? To me, the, they're both well done, but I really liked it. I think in the dorm kind of scene, cause that's like the first yeah. time you kind of hear it. And just because Peter B Parker was trying to campaign for him so hard. And it, it was hard for him too, having to kind of leave him behind because he really wanted him to kind of make it on his own, but realizing that he just doesn't have these powers yet, or he's not developed enough to really take on this task is yeah even harder for him i mean he has to he gets kind of outvoted by the committee of spider-man of like you can't we cannot bring him on this mission like he's just not ready to do this and him having to be the one that has to drop the hammer on him and say you you're not going yeah and having to kind of strap him up to the chair and leave him there was just i you can kind of feel it's really hard for him too and not just for miles yeah it's great because it that sums up kind of the coming of age like story where it's the you're not ready. Well, when will I know? And it's like, well, you won't. It's a leap of faith. And that's kind of this idea of the the transition from child from adolescence to adulthood is that it's not really you're not going to know when that transition is going to happen. It could be one big moment, this one important moment, like in your life where like that's where like you were forced to grow up. And I think with, um, with that scene and then kind of it's, it leads into that scene with, with, with a uh, PRB Parker. And then it leads into the father scene where finally, I think miles is with both those, with both those conversations, he finds out who he is. Like it's, it's a low moment, but that low moment allows him to, to grow up essentially, if we're just breaking it down coming of age terms, 
to go from child who can't control his feelings and control his skills to a more refined, experienced person because of the Uncle Aaron's death, them giving up on him. But then what he gains is his father finally, I guess, kind of believing in him in a way in that conversation. What's going on? Bye, Miles. Miles, I came to say goodbye. We can say goodbye at the Collider. You're not getting it. You're staying here. I need to be there, so you can all go home. They are going home, Miles. I'm the only one staying. You're taking my place? If you stay here, you'll die. I'm doing what needs to be done. I just wanted you to hear it from me. What about MJ? Not everything works out, kid. I need the goober. Please don't make me take it from you. That's not fair. You gotta tell them I can do this. It wasn't their decision. I gotta make Kingpin pay. You have to let me make him pay. Miles, you're gonna get yourself killed. But I'm ready. I promise. Ah! Then Venom strike me right now. Or turn invisible on command so you can get past me. That's all it is, Miles. A leap of faith. This is the first animated film we've done, so the on-set life is not really on-set. It's more just the animation stuff, a little bit more of the animation uh, history. It took a year for two animators to create 10 seconds of footage that the producers approved of for the film style. They then started with one animator that expanded to 60 animators. They realized they would not complete the film on time, so they expanded... They expanded 142 animators, and by the time they finished, they had upwards of 177 animators on the project. To make the film feel more like a comic book, they did not add motion blur to the animation. Instead, they used this technique called motion smearing, which was done in old Looney Tunes cartoons in the 40s is where that started. So it was definitely... What's so unique about this movie in terms of animation, it combines old school techniques and new school techniques of they were using things like the multi-plane camera, which is what Disney used when doing Pinocchio and all these early Disney cartoons. But then they're also creating a virtual world for these characters. Like the animation in this movie is so, I think just so unique and perfect. And I'm not as well versed in animation style as, as Jonathan is. Um, so I'll ask, like, how, I mean, you've mentioned a little bit, but what's some more stuff you can talk about with the animation of it? Like, and how it, what makes it stand out from other animated films around the same time? I would say, I mean, more of kind of what we're saying on the comic book field, but I would kind of add to that uh, in the beginning, like there's like text bubbles. You've got some of these comic book panels and pop frames in moments that feel 
not just as sequences, but can also work as just single illustrations. I mean, there are multiple moments you can pause in this movie. And like you're saying, like with the smearing effect, you can see multiple arms actually kind of moving in the same panel in that one frame. And the just like the effects that you touch on that really kind of hit this style. I mean, we've talked about the frame rate. We've talked about the use of color, uh, soundtrack and everything yeah it's just a great mix of these old school hand-drawn animation elements and then mixing it with this unique virtual reality type world they're doing and some of the shots are just beautiful um but but yeah they uh they definitely look to as you mentioned earlier like kirby crackle uh to create the illusion of energy it was like other mess to make the film look more like a comic book where halftones Bend day dots to create colors, tones, and gradients. Crisscross lines to create texture and shadows. Kirby crackle to create the illusion of energy. Motion lines to show movement. Um, and onomatopoeia words on the image to represent sounds and motion, which is kind of stuff you've said as we've talked. So they definitely like wanted to like make this. I, I I don't know. This is the closest I think I've seen to a comic book in terms of a movie. Everyone kind of like in terms of a live action film says Scott Pilgrim versus the World which is fine, but this is, I think, like the true one. Um, moving on to Awards and Aftermath. Uh, it made $375 million worldwide, and it made Sony announce a sequel, which is coming out, supposed to come out in 2022 now, I believe, because of COVID. Um, I think it was initially supposed to come out in 2021. Then they have, mul- they have multiple spinoffs and development or talked about, is what I'm hearing. Uh, they have a spinoff fi- film focusing on three generations of female Spider-related characters, which will include Spider-Gwen, Spider-Woman, and and uh, Cindy Moon Silk as well. And then John Mulaney has expressed interest in a possible spinoff film starring Spider-Ham, suggesting it as a plot for a Watergate-like, Watergate-like story along the lines of All the President's Men while focusing on Spider-Ham's career as a reporter. Interesting. Uh, how, how would you feel about a, a All the President's Men Spider-Ham movie Ooh. with John Mulaney? I would kind of like to see more of Spider-Ham. Uh, All the President's Men, that's a very interesting take for Spider-Ham, but I kind of like the idea of doing something really dramatic for such a cartoony character. Uh, I'd be in for that. Um, and then they also announced a, a television series based around End of the Spider-Verse universe. Um, a little bit of a sidetrack, but it does deal with kind of aftermath of, of right now in the world where we're talking about kind of representation in film. But w- what's the importance of Miles Morales? Because Miles Morales is a very unique character. He is a, uh, a character who is half... He's half Latino, half black. And this is the first time we've seen Miles on the big screen. So like what why why do you think fans have loved this character so much and been wanting this character portrayed on film? He has for me, Miles ha- I think being younger kind of feels more accessible and he feels more hopeful. Like when I look at when I think of kind of Toby Maguire's Spider-Man, you think of someone kind of older. I mean, he feels older. I mean, they always set them in high school, but they always kind of have people who don't necessarily look or feel high school age. And I think with Miles looking and feeling so young, you get a sense of hope that I don't think you get with an older looking 
performer and his own diverse background kind of gives you this room of being more accessible to a broader spectrum of people and seeing him yeah. kind of compete against all of these kind of societal expectations, like even him getting into the school. I mean, you have this brief line of him and his dad uh, because his dad wants him to go to this academy and he tells him like, I only got into this school because I won this dumb lottery. Like he doesn't feel like he's earned these opportunities. And it, it's this kind of fight of trying to kind of get these equal opportunities and getting kind of a better life for yourself that I think in kind of fighting these expectations of, kind of school life and these idea of you're kind of expected to be better and the way parents and the way even society can put that on younger people. Uh, I think it's what makes Miles very inspiring and it kind of draws you into him a lot more. At least I felt more drawn into him than I think the original kind of older Peter that I'm used to seeing. I think Tom Holland's great as Spider-Man, but he's probably the first one that actually felt high school age. Like when you watch Tobey Maguire and you watch Andrew Garfield, they all just feel old. I mean, in the initial Spider-Man movies, it was like they really wanted to get out of the high school setting so quickly. Like, I think literally the first like 30 minutes is he's graduated high school or something. Like, it's very just like he's done. He's out. He's been bitten by a spider. Now let's put him out in the real world and like start having a job and everything. And it's so in, the Spider-Man story is is so ingrained in like a high school story or a, again, this coming of age story. And I do think the character of Miles, where it's, it's not just a, most of the time, again, with Spider-Man, it's this coming of age story, specifically from a, a white perspective. And with Miles is that we're seeing a coming of age story, also a superhero story from a perspective we don't always see. And that's why, that's, the, that's one big reason why I think fans have been wanting this Miles Morales to be portrayed on screen because it's been talked about for years and that was one reason why i think lord miller wanted to make the film they says that they wanted to explore the miles morales story uh because it never been shown on film um also last thing about the awards and aftermath uh it was the first non-disney pixar film to win the oscar for best anime feature since 2011 and it was the first non-disney pixar film to win when a Disney Pixar film was also in competition since 2006 when Happy Feet won. So it opened uh, doors for other animation studios to come in and not just be Disney Pixar, I feel. Yeah, because that year you also had Incredibles 2 in the running, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, Because I remember watching both of those and enjoying both, but spider-man definitely deserved it because it tried a lot more different things and it actually pulled off a lot of those things as much as i love the story of incredibles 2 it also felt very conventional and very incredible like i felt like i kind of i got what i wanted but i didn't get something different and i felt like that award should go to whoever is trying something different and really pulls that off and that was it was rightfully deserved to win that year. Yeah, I agree. I think just, yeah, the way it pushes boundaries on animation, but also storytelling. Um, Incredibles 2 is good. Um, it Yeah, it definitely did not have the the impact that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse had. You also had Ralph Breaks the Internet and Isle of Dogs by Wes Anderson. But I, Spy, Spider-Man, I think all the other ones are very much, they're, they're pushing the boundary in animation, you could argue, but I still think very t 
tie to just the traditional style of animation in modern day. And Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse feels like we just push the doors wide open for more experience. Like it, it feels, I mean, more experimental stuff in terms of animation, but it just feels like a, this, this could have been a live action film because of the way they do it, it could never be. Does that make sense? Like it feels so like animation feels like such a part of the story they're trying to tell in the, in the, or the technique they're trying to tell. This is another thing. This is a side thing of why I don't really like saying animation is a genre. I think animation is a, is a way to tell the story. And I think Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse definitely shows that. I would agree. And, um, yeah, I would kind of put it, I can see why people want to kind of make it a separate category just because it's so, it's very different from live action. But I mean, if you're talking of genre in terms of kind of like tropes and cliches and more of like genre in terms of storytelling and not just like a, a style, yeah. I would definitely agree with that. Because I've heard Brad Bird, who actually directed Incredibles 2, talk about how he, he gets upset when they put animation as a genre and like, cause the thing is, if if we, as this show, as Cinenation, if we did a a dive into animation as a genre, there really are, there's no, I think there's no like story types and cliches, tropes you can really kind of go after, except maybe animals talking like humans. That's about it. Moving on, we've t- we've talked a lot about what worked about this film, but really briefly, kind of run down what worked about this film. So one kind of like side thing I want to put in that I don't think I mentioned the sound design, kind of like a, a just a small note, the sound design of Prowler and the way they play with the distortion yeah. when he's like in the room yeah. worked so well setting him up as a villain and made him so intimidating. I mean, like see just all the distorted effects when he's walking around and like the voice changer that he has in his yeah. suit. Um, I mean, I th- I know we talk about him as a character as Aaron Davis, but the way he was executed, I just really loved. Uh, yeah. As far as what else worked, I mean, we've hit a lot of things already. I feel like we've <laughs> kind of answered this question before we even got to it. Yeah, very early. Um, on. Yeah, but a lot of things. I mean, just really the introduction. I'm really amazed that as many characters as they introduced, they were able to give them enough time to establish them. I think one other kind of small thing that worked really well that I liked their approach to, I love the kind of comic book drops that they do when they introduce a character of like, all right, guys, let's just do this yeah. one more time. And they go into yeah, and they yeah. kind of recognize and self-aware that, yes, we repeat a lot of these cliches that set up a very typical Spider-Man story of, losing a friend, losing a mentor, saving someone close to them, and kind of the isolation of being different and of being a hero and that kind of relief that comes with knowing there are other people like me out in the world or in their case, the multiverse that have this kind of situation that no one else can kind of really relate to on the same level. And also, I think what else works, establishing them as an ensemble of establishing them at different points in their careers of like, you've got Peter, like the a spider, Peter, a spider who dies very early on. Who's kind of the, the perfect hero. Like he kind of, he's in his prime. He's always kind of, you know, no matter how many times he gets knocked down, he gets up. And then you have like the B spider who's very washed up and trying to get back on his feet again. 
you've got all these different styles of Penny Parker having this like telekinesis link with a spider who pilots a robot and just like the way they're able to kind of make everyone kind of work in a world that's already so wild in and of itself and they work i mean i I feel like just the pitch of this feels so wild that and you really needed that art style to make this work i I mean i would argue this would be very difficult to pull off as a live action i mean as wild and as crazy as some of this is, uh, it really kind of owned that style of what worked. So the ensemble was great in making everyone very stylized, and yet they all felt cohesive. I mean, that was what was yeah. really interesting to me. So I would add that to the laundry list of things we've said that work for this film. All right, people, let's do this one last time. My name is Peter B. Parker. I was bitten by a radioactive spider, and for the last 22 years, I thought I was the one and only Spider-Man. What a day. I'm pretty sure you know the rest. You see, I saved the city, fell in love, I got married, saved the city some more, maybe too much. My marriage got testy, made some dicey money choices, don't invest in a spider-themed restaurant. Then like 15 years passed, blah, 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 super burn, I broke my back, a drone flew into my face, I buried Aunt May, my wife and I split up. But I handled it like a champion. Because you know what, no matter how many times I get hit, I always get back up. And I got a lot of time to reflect and work on myself. Did you know that seahorses that they mate for life? Could you imagine a seahorse seeing another seahorse and then making it work? She wanted kids and, and it scared me. I'm pretty sure I broke her heart. Flash forward, I'm in my apartment doing push-ups, doing ab crunches, getting strong. When this weird thing happened, and I gotta say, weird things happen to me a lot, but this was real weird. This is like one complaint that has been said about a lot of superhero films, specifically a Spider-Man movie, as it continues to go on, of there's too many villains, or there's too many characters, and with, with this film, they're really able to balance the huge ensemble of Spider-Men, the multiple villains, the multiple parental mentor relationships that are, that are going on in this film. Uh, even to the point of just like weirdly, like Aunt May being a weird, like not mentor, but like caretaker of all the Spider-Men who come to New York City. And like essentially is not just a, not a, 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 as the early Spider-Man films, a typical old lady who lives in the house that Peter Parker lives in. It's like, oh no, she has access to the lair She's the one taking care of all these people now Peter's gone. She knows all about the multiverse and all this stuff. And everyone's kind of shocked by Badass it. Aunt May was definitely the right choice. And Lily Tomlin really killed <laughs> that too. She was great. She did. Uh, let's see. A few things. There was a few things I want to bring up about what worked. Um, they do a good job of making the villain, which in this point, I think all of them, not just Uncle Aaron is the prowler, but also Kingpin, like so, like you empathize with them like kingpin what's so unique about with compared to other superhero villains is that kingpin's not trying to like ruin like to end the world and control the world and control power he's literally trying to make up make 
or right or wrong by bringing his family back because they saw him beat up Spider-Man. They, they drove off and got in a car wreck and died. And so now he's trying to like scour the multiverse to find his family and bring it back. So he's not like alone and he can rewrite that mistake. So like you're able to empathize with that. This is a character who like realized he messed up in some way. Um, but he is cause he's flawed, but he's just going about the wrong way. Instead of actually grieving and moving on, he is trying to force everyone else to bow down to him, basically get what he wants with bringing his family back, which I think works. It's not just the apocalypse type storyline of, I want to rule the world and, or end it. I also, Oh, uh, I was going to say, I like kind of what you're saying of making more personal stakes. And I like, again, we yeah. touch on some of the self-aware humor, but I like how, there's this moment between Miles and Peter B. Parker when they kind of first meet and he takes him back uh, to his place or something. I think it's might be Uncle Aaron's apartment. I'm not sure, but they're talking on uh, on the wall about how it's always like if we don't do this, everyone in the universe will die. Like they always say that every time. Like they they always <laughs> like that's always the stakes here. And I like that they took like you're saying with Kingpin, like they made him much more of a personable and empathetic villain uh, than a lot of times that he gets kind of portrayed. Um, Lee Schreiber was really good as this voice too. I mean, intimidating, uh, felt very much like a a gritty crime boss. He really nailed Kingpin very well. I had a, this is a side conversation. This is a side thing, but I want to bring it up because I had years ago, uh, I think I posted something about Wonder Woman about how uh, I, 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 I don't want to revisit the article. So it's probably not well written, but it's talking about how wonder woman has heart and how the way it's, it's written with heart. And I think guardians does this as well. And Spider-Man in the Spider-Verse, I think might be the best example of this, of like how to write characters with heart or how to write a story with heart. And I've kind of broken down how to write a story about heart with three things. And I want to say them because it brings up, it comes up in this film. Um, the character needs to lose something in the process, which is usually, it could be a death of someone, which in this case is Uncle Aaron. The character must walk into certain death, like knowingly walk into a certain death and choose to, which Miles does at the end of it. After he's lost everything, he still doesn't give up and still moves forward. And then the third thing, the film must be more about plot. So the film, at the end of the day, I think is not about saving New York City or saving the world. It is about this young kid growing up and is about the, in a way too, the relationship between him and his dad. I think that's the core of the story is the relationship between him and his father and his father finally understanding who Miles is and accepting him for who he is. And the process of Miles finding out who he is. It's a lot of the same thing, but it's 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 a perfect coming of age story. Just it's hidden in the superhero genre. Right. And when you say it like that, I I love how you kind of put that, too, because you think about the whole plot of them trying to stop the super clutter. But it feels very like a B plot of like what you're saying of the yeah. core of this is his relationship and coping with these expectations between society and specifically his dad and him coming to his own by finding that acceptance and just being confident in himself and to go forward. Miles, Miles, 
Miles, are you, are, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. You're probably busy, so... No, 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 no. I can talk. I can talk. Look, so I came by earlier because, uh... Your uncle... I know, Dad. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Do you know who did it? I thought I did. I was wrong. Look, Miles, what I said at the door, it wasn't just talk. Look, you know, I was thinking maybe we could run a nice wall, privately owned, okay, yeah. like at the police station. All right. And uh, you could um, throw up some of your art. Also, one last thing about what worked that we didn't talk about. The editing of this film. What I loved that I noticed this time is how well it edits for comedy. Of like, an example is when Miles is like trying to test out his skills and he goes to this huge building that he saw like in the comments of Spider-Man. <laughs> and he gets there, he's like ready to go. And then it just cuts to him going down the stairs. Yeah. And it does that a lot. This movie where it, it, it ends, it's, it's the idea of like, coming in late, ending early, or leaving early, basically, in terms of writing, like, coming to the scene late, leave the scene early. So it, you can just kind of this constant momentum going forward. And it does that really well in the edit, where we'll, we're leading up to something big, and then we cut, and it kind of reveals a joke like that, of going down the stairs and not doing the jump. Um, but that was nicely done. Um, did anything not work? Hmm... This is, I mean, like we've sort of said, I mean, whatever, I mean, this feels very perfect. I mean, I mean, I don't want to give it that, but I mean, everything is pretty tight. I think with me, and I hinted on it a little earlier, I kind of wanted more time between Miles and Aaron and uh, his uncle because yeah. I didn't realize how quick that arc kind of was. And I mean, I give him credit. I mean, to do everything they did as efficiently as they did it was well done but i just found myself i guess wanting more because like, he was such an interesting villain of you have the surrogate father set up as also uh the antagonist for him i mean up until like it becomes him and kingpin but he's kind of the he's like the mini boss before you get to the big boss in the video game and like seeing him yeah. have that intimate relationship and I like how they kind of flip the uh, the scene where he reveals to his uncle that it's him as Spider-Man, where he pulls his mask up, which is such a big thing with Spider-Man of concealing identity is such a large part of him kind of keeping those two lives separate. And the way Miles pulls it up to kind of show like it's me, like like I mean, it it goes against kind of what we're used to seeing Spider-Man do, who's so careful not to reveal it to people. And the way, I mean, it's almost that childlike innocence of like he's looking for mercy with this character because he knows he couldn't beat Prowler by himself. And just, I mean, it reinforces how much of a kid he really is in this stage of his development that he made so many rookie mistakes and he's using kind of, his relationship as a crutch to kind of not get killed, but it goes against what we're used to seeing Spider-Man do. That's good. I mean, that's a good point. Yeah. I, I, in terms of like what about adding more of that relationship, it would have been, I wonder what it would have been like if you had some scene between him and his uncle after he's become Spider-Man and he knows it, but he doesn't, he doesn't know how to tell his uncle. So it's like you have this connection of, of building on that mentorship or that relationship more 
and then just ripping it away. That's the thing is that you never see him with his uncle again after he's like tagging the subway area. And then you see him when he, you find out he's Prowler. So I wonder what it would have been like if you threw in one scene in between there. I don't know where you do it. I don't know how you do it. Um, but I just wonder if there's a conversation that you have there. Uh, alternate universe cast. Only one thing. Again, maybe in 10 years from now when they do a a, 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 a tell-all about Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse, we'll find out more. But the only person that was that came out and said was considered for a role was they considered Tobey Maguire for Peter B. Parker. Ooh. That would have been... But they were, they were worried that it would confuse people because it was two separate universes. Right. But I like, too, even with... Um... Peter A. Parker, like they recreated a lot of the scenes from those Spider movies, which I kind of made to made me made it think that this was sort of canon and that they were sort of recognizing yeah. it because they did so many scenes from this the Maguire Spider Man trilogy. Uh, I mean, I can kind of appreciate the fact that they knew they were doing something so different that they wanted to be separate from it and not, like you say, kind yeah. of blur that line, which could have potentially confused some fans of the movie. Yeah, it'd have been interesting. I I I I don't I don't think I'd put Toby Maguire in, in the Jake Johnson role. I could see putting Toby Maguire in the Chris Pine role. As just like a brief I could see that happening. I think Jake Johnson's perfect for this like out of shape like has been Spider-Man. I don't know if Toby Maguire would have been the perfect choice for that. Um but yeah, that's how I feel. Um story questions one one i'm like how how does gwen stacy get sent back a week before everyone else see when i kind of watched it and she said she was sent a week back and it was like my new york but different i i was almost wondering if it was a um like it was an alternate universe it's like i it's an alternate universe that's like hers, but because she was saying it was also kind of different. Like it wasn't just that it felt like it was a week ago, but they were like certain, at least that was how yeah. I had watched it, but it felt like you're kind of hinting at, it does feel a little confusing in a way. Cause that means in her universe, I mean, she would also have her Peter Parker would also have been Spider-Man. As well. Well, her or she's her Peter Parker. Well, no, her Peter Parker died. Right. I think before he became Spider Man. But if it was a week, so maybe I'm misinterpreting this. But she says it's a week before, which makes me think it almost yeah. feels more like a time travel than a universe jump. That, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it feels like because she's like, oh, I had to find a Spider Man, so that's why I went to this school. But the thing is, though, he meets her before he gets bitten by a spider, I believe. Like he meets Gwen in the school when he shows up late and she's like, oh, you're late. My, the teacher, like, you're late, Miles. He's like, well, Einstein says time is relative, but he hadn't been bitten by the spider yet. And Gwen later says, I had the, the feeling to go to the school because I felt there was someone there who had the same powers I did. But Miles doesn't get powers till after that. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's what happens. He, because yeah, because he has that conversation with Aaron later, and he's talking about his uncle, and he's talking about how yeah. I met this girl, and they have this interaction of oh, what's her name, and like the shoulder touch, and that's yes. then after that they go to the subway to tag that wall. 
Yeah. So that that's maybe that should be in the did anything not work. There is that little bit of a it, it's a logic thing of she already knows he he's going to be bitten by a spider because then cuz the scene she goes, "Oh, I had when it says when she actually says like, "Oh, I felt someone was there." It cuts to the second time they meet when he's sweating and is like, "Oh, it's puberty." But that's not the first time they meet, so it's almost like how did she know this guy was going to be a Spider-Man? Mm. There's one logic issue for you. Uh, awards. Um, the Beatrice Strait Award for an actor or actress with limited scenes, uh, but kills it. So my nominee is Cage. Same. Like, that's my nominee for this award. Yeah, it was. Um, he had the best one-liners of any character, and he absolutely owned every bit that he like, had. He's having a great, he had a great year in 2018 with that, with Mandy, um... I mean, you could argue Mulaney maybe as Spider Spider Ham, but Cage is the one you're just like, oh man, that's Nick Cage. That's a perfect casting choice. Can't cage the cage, baby. So, yeah, so I, we'll go Nick Cage, the Beatrice Strait Award for Spider Noir or Spider Man Noir. Um, the Joe Pesci X Factor Award for a supporting actor or actress who steals most of the scenes they're in mm. my nominee is jake johnson okay i like that uh i'm gonna differ that- a little bit and i'm gonna go with jeff uh, miles's dad because i really kind of okay. liked a lot of him kind of owning kind of the straight kind of laced cop role that he had and then him coming at the end yeah. with that speech that motivates miles like really just kind of sets the x factor for me and i really like uh brian okay. tyree henry in this so you're going with brian tyree henry i'm going with jake johnson i'm fine with both those picks the gene hackman mvp award for someone who carries the film through carries it for- i i have well you go i have a i i have a very i mean usually we do actors or like maybe directors on here Mine's a little bit of a controversial pick, and maybe we can discuss it. I'm gonna go with the animators. That's that's my pick. Like, I feel like if this animation does not work. This movie does not work. Yeah, I mean that really kind of separates it, and that really kind of gave it a lot of the the hype and a lot of the reactions that yeah. people had. So, uh, I'm I'm gonna have to go with that because I mean so much. I mean just knowing. I mean. What was like four seconds of footage took like a week for them to do. I mean, it was yeah. a very meticulous film. And like the that's why I said earlier, like the more you watch it, the more you really appreciate mm-hmm. the details and you find things that you didn't really pick up. Like one thing that I really kind of watched for when I was watching kind of the behind the scenes of how it was done. And they mentioned some of the pop frames that they did. And there are some like kind of even like running or fight sequences that kind of have these certain pops or like single kind of for two like a second or so you just see these frames of emphasis that show like a foot like hitting like the side of a car and just the what mm-hmm. just to really kind of make it pop and own that comic book in motion style that they went with i think i'd have to agree with it and th- just just for sa- sake of it what who's like a runner-up okay would be i th- i'm shameek moore i guess for for miles mm. I kind of want to go with Mahershala Ali for Prowler. Okay. All fine picks. Uh, final questions. 
big question. John, Thomas is not here, so this is usually a Thomas question. So we're going to try to break this down. If this film was made 10 years ago, and maybe if it was live action to some extent, let's just say if it was live action, but it could also still be an animation. 10 years ago, who do you cast? Okay, so for Miles Morales, I'm, I've kind of got a toss-up of two, and they might not work or they might not. Um, okay. It's okay. So uh, my first pick or my first... Uh, choice is tyler james williams coming off of uh everybody hates chris he was a main actor and kind of in that okay. age where like i think he could kind of be this character and kind of around the right age because it was really trying to like as a live action trying to find actors who would kind of be in that age and would also kind of have a little bit of star power where like you recognize them and i wanted to kind of find an actor that was probably looking for something to prove and trying to maybe break out of a role that they kind of get known for. And I think he's kind of right at the right age. Like if you were to do this in 2008, like he could kind of work for that. Okay, so my other pick for Miles Morales is Jaleel White. So it's after Family Matters. He's been known for Steve Urkel. He's looking to really kind of break in. And what what year is this with Jaleel White? <laughs> yeah, maybe. See, that was my thing. Like that's why I, was, I had Tower James Williams first because he might be too old at that point. Uh, oh, so no, I he think is. he would. Yeah, he, he probably would be. Yeah, let, let's, let's just scratch that. <laughs> let, let's just you know Tyler James Williams. Let's just stick let's with pretend. that. That's my pick. Let's say mid. Let's say mid nineties. You do a Miles Morales story. Okay. And Jalil's your dude. Okay, yeah, that works a lot better. Jalil White's your because, guy. Because, see, I thought we but, were doing it in 2000s. I wasn't sure at first. If we're doing, like, early 2000s or if we're, like, doing late. But, yeah, I think Tyler James works a lot better. Actually, <laughs> Let, let's just forget I even... Let's stick with yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, but I agree with that. Let's just forget Jalil White. No, no but Jalil White, you're great. I like that you went with Tyler James Williams because I went more mainstream. Because uh, I was thinking more like late 2000s, maybe getting into the new decade. And I, I was picking a young Michael B. Jordan. Ooh. Because Michael B. Jordan is coming off of The Wire. And I think he's in Friday Night Lights at that point in late 2000s to 2011. And maybe he's a guy they go with as like this breakout star doing Miles Morales. Okay. Who do you have as a Uncle Aaron slash The Prowler? My first pick was Terrence Howard. I think he could kind of nail okay. that swagger and kind of be like the cool kind of surrogate father that you would kind of want. I think he's got the swagger for it. Okay. Did you have a second pick? You know, I, I, I'm skeptical to make my second picks now because I don't like my second pick from Miles. <laughs> so I, I think I want to just kind of own Terrence. I, I want to just double stick, down and have that one. Howard. What's yours? Okay. Uh, Jamie Foxx. Okay. Yeah. Jamie Foxx. Pre, like he, like, cause in a, in a, in a alternate universe, Jamie Foxx does the Prowler and not like Electro or whatever mm, he did yeah. in Amazing Spider-Man Two, cause it's, it, it, I don't think it played to, to, to Fox's strengths in that movie, and I think the Prowler could have been a better choice for him. That's my thoughts on that. Uh, Gwen Stacy. Gwen, um, I don't think I had one for that one. I think I was working <laughs> on my other cast. Give okay. me your Gwen Stacy. Okay, okay, let's see. Let's see. I'll come back to that mind. Who do you have? Tell me who you have. And I'll go, okay. We'll just uh, so for Jeff Davis, for Miles' dad, I had Cuba Gooding Jr. at first. I just okay. wanted, I'm really okay. trying to get experimental here and try some different people. 
um, uh-huh. give him kind of a father role to kind of own up to. Uh, for Peter B. Parker, I had John Krasinski. Um, okay. I think he can kind of that's play a, the aloof. I mean, being off of The Office, playing Jim, I think he could kind of play the uh, kind of like washed up sort of roles, like kind of the, the bum role really well. I think he okay. nails the sarcasm okay. really well, too. I like that. Okay, what else you got? Uh, for Peter A. Parker, I had Chris Evans. Yeah, that makes sense around that time period. Say late two thousands, yeah. Yeah, you know, at, you know, this is kind of, kind of trying to forget the whole human torch role that he had there, trying yeah. to redefine it. I get that. Yeah, I, I didn't have Peter A. Parker, so we'll we'll go Chris Evans for that. Uh, what else you got? Mm, let's see. For Liv Octavius, I was thinking of a Glenn Close to kind of be kind of that villain sort of role. That's not bad. Yeah, I like Glenn Close in that. What else? Mm, I was trying, you know, I was really trying to find a noir Spider-Man of like who could kind of go with Cage's kind of more kind I'll, of experiment. I'll, I'll ta- what? Uh huh. I'll tell you, who I put. I just picked Nick Cage. I you, went you wouldn't like, cool. sub him out for anyone. Makes sense. Would not yeah, sub him out I mean, at all. It makes complete Yeah, he sense. almost owns it too well for you to really recast. Like you, you can't. Yeah, I don't know if he can he, be. Recast. He he was still he was still big at that point, and I mean he's still big in late two thousand. Right. Yeah, Nick Cage. Yeah, I I think I'd agree with that. I think that's the one guy who doesn't get recasted in this. Uh, anything else you have? That's about all. I kind of want to know your picks okay. now, though. Uh, Gwen Stacy. I picked Brie Larson. Okay. Uh, late two thousands, Brie Larson was kind of popping around doing some movies and TV shows. Uh, it'd be interesting to see her in that in. Sp- than spider gwen character yeah uh peter b parker uh i'm kind of proud of this one paul rudd okay he could nail that humor <laughs> really well yeah um peter porker i picked zach galifianakis just because yeah he's a wild card you really got to find yeah. a wild card actor to do that. At, that at that point coming off hangover it makes sense um for doc ock because Catherine Hahn, I love Catherine Hahn, who plays uh, Liv Octavius in this movie. And she is a great comedian, but also like a, can be a dramatic actress. This is this is this is this is the big wild card here I picked. I picked uh I picked Tina Fey. Hmm. Ooh. For the com- the comedy aspect. Don't know if she can nail like the the action side of it, but the comedy aspect of, of like the, the quirkiness, I don't like usually using that word, but kind of the, the, ex, the eccentric qualities that live Octavius has in this movie. Tina Fey just kind of made sense to me. Yeah. Do you, do you recast Kingpin? I don't know who you put in Kingpin. Like, I mean, leave Schreiber's interesting at that point. I mean, if you're looking at late two thousands, is it Michael Clark Duncan from daredevil? Like, I don't, I don't know. Man, that's like ooh, yeah. I'm not sure. I, I the guy I, I I'll say it. I did. I don't know if he's physically imposing the way Kingpin Kingpin should be, but the one that I thought for a brief second was Philip Seymour Hoffman. Okay, but I don't know if he's physically menacing the way Kingpin should be. I think he's menacing in like a psychological way as like Mission Impossible 3 shows us, but I don't know if he's like physically imposing. 
but that that was my thought yeah i almost wanted uh vincent d'onofrio just because i love him in daredevil and his rendition of kingdom but i don't know if you could at that time if he would really be at that stage yeah. in his career yeah like he's he's still probably doing law and order criminal intent yeah probably. i don't know like I, i'm not sure if he's the guy for kingpin right um that's it for our for our our recast next question is this the best spider-man movie this is definitely the most stylized spider-man movie is it so kind of best of like in terms of a story and kind of freshness i'm tempted to put it there um just because it was such a different take and it owned it really well i'm tempted to say yes yeah Okay, and then in terms of, like, capturing the Spider-Man story. Yeah, a lot of the kind of coming of age and, like, you know, with Peter, it's a lot more of, like, the double identity. And with Miles, it's a lot more of kind of self-identity and finding and kind of meeting, like, father expectations versus personal expectations. Um, It fits really well for Miles Morales, um yeah you you do kind of get into a discussion of like what are kind of quintessential like kind of spider-man canon story elements that you usually tell and i would say it nails those really well yeah i'll i'll I'll, it's my favorite it's by far i think this is my favorite version of spider-man so yeah does this film fit with any other genres well it's coming i mean it's a coming of age film it's definitely a superhero film right does it fit with anything else besides those two I mean, there's a little bit, I don't know if there's enough to like make it, like it has comedy elements, but I don't know if it's enough to make it a comedy since it balances of both. Yeah, straight comedy. It sort of blends genres a little bit. I mean, maybe you could leverage a little bit of it into sci-fi, but a lot of superhero kind of works as sci-fi as well. Um, Those are the only things I have. Yeah, I I agree with that. It's all elements of other genres, but I do think it just goes with a superhero coming of age. Um how does this film fit in the coming of age genre? We've kind of talked about certain tropes at the beginning. So what kind of tropes does this movie use for its story? I would definitely put it like the parental conflict and the mentorship of guiding that character transition for sure. Yeah. I think it definitely nails the parental conflict and kind of the, and like the, the, and, and the, the parent learning to accept the child for who they are is the thing. Like that's that we haven't even talked about this, but like the beginning, um, his father is basically saying like, "Hey, take those those tags he put because he t- he will put stickers on like lamp on like posts and stuff, and he'll like take those down." And then by the end of it, he's like, "Hey, we're doing a mural at the police station. Would you come and like do it for us?" So at the beginning, he's very like, "Hey, don't show your art," and in turn, Miles is like, doesn't post them anywhere. And that's the kind of why the relationship between him and his uncle is so good because his uncle pushes him to do that. And then at the end, the father turns around and is like, okay, let me just understand who you are and support who you are. Um, yeah, the mentorship between him and Peter B. Parker is great. He's the one that it's the whole, I mean, he's the mentor helps the character transition from kind of adolescence to adulthood. And I think the whole leap of faith speech is kind of that, the the signifier of that in a way. That really is what, it sums up the entire movie in a way in that in that moment or it sums up miles's journey with the whole it's just a leap of faith thing and that's great that he's able to turn it around on peter b parker at the end in this way of kind of like he in a way the mentor is also needing to grow up in some way 
and Miles helps him do that. Um, I yeah, the need. I don't know if it fits into need to escape. It could go that way, but it doesn't because Miles is in a different surrounding than what he's used to at this like kind of boarding school and whatever. And I don't think he wants to be there at first, but then he accepts it for what it is later on. Yeah, that's that's all I gotta say about Spider Man and the Spider Verse. Any final thoughts on that we haven't discussed? I feel like we've we've done a really pretty thorough job on this movie. I think we've hit everything that we've wanted to hit. At least I have. Yeah, I, I think if you guys haven't seen it, go watch it. I think it's it was one of my favorite films of twenty eighteen. Absolutely. Um and a lot of people I know Barry Jenkins has talked about director of Moonlight. Ryan Johnson has praised it. Kevin Smith has praised it. Kevin Smith, I think, said he goes, I used to he's like, I used to just like like Spider-Man and like accept it. And he goes, but with this movie, it, like it made me love Spider-Man. And I think if you're coming into the Spider-Man's, I think it if you're coming into the Spider-Man character, I mean, this might be a good intro for you. I don't know. Like, I think this is if you're not a superhero fan, if you're not a, a Spider-Man fan, I do think Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse is a film that could help you get into the genre of superhero movies. I would agree with that because I think some people, especially when you go the Peter Parker route, I think some people feel because he's been done so much, they need to walk in with yeah. some kind of expectations or some knowledge of his world and his character. Whereas, like you had said earlier, Miles hadn't really been done uh, as a movie before and because of that i think you kind of get that fresh start to this world and you can come in blind and walk away really satisfied i mean there's enough and that's one thing that's interesting with comic book movies too is that you can there's a level of enjoyment for people who don't know like the comic book lore and then there's like an extra layer of if you know this character if you've read this comic you appreciate this kind of line or this reference like it works on multiple levels and I think this one's very approachable and very accessible for people. Yeah, no, I agree completely. Um, so yeah, that's our episode on Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse. Make sure you keep listening to our episodes this month as we continue down the coming-of-age genre breakdown. Our next episode is Lady Bird, which is directed by Greta Gerwig and starred Saoirse Ronan. Uh, and then our final episode for the month is going to be on John Hughes, which is going to be a big... He has a big filmography. A lot of stuff he wrote couple stuff he directed so it's going to be an interesting episode but make sure you follow snapple podcast and spotify and stitcher you can find us on all those platforms give us a rating give us a review we like hearing what you guys have to say about this especially with this kind of new format of the show make sure you like us on twitter facebook instagram and also follow our stuff on medium as we're putting out new articles and yeah jonathan thank you for coming on and talking about Spider-Man the Spider-Verse with me. Thanks for having me on, man. This has been really fun. Yeah, hopefully we'll see you in the future with some of these episodes in our rotation. So, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to be back, and uh, thanks for letting me come on, man. Yeah, it's been great. Guys, thank you so much for listening. We hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye. Bye.